0: Welcome to Thrivecast. Theo, so happy to have you here. Our today's topic is pretty interesting. PLG trials, conversion, and strategies around it. What are they and how do we implement them? And to do justice, we have Theo, who's a growth advisor based out in London, UK. Uh, Theo, you have been a thriving advice, you have a thriving advisory practice. You're providing a lot of free templates to SaaS builders. You're helping them, you're coaching them. You also have a huge LinkedIn following. Could you uh, could, could you share your background on how did you get started here and then what do you do?
1: Thanks very much. Yeah, excited to be here to talk. Uh, so my background is that I've only really worked with startups and scale-ups. Uh, I started off working for an e-commerce brand and I then later moved to work for a high-volume SaaS company and we were actually based out in Las Vegas so um basically spent a lot of time getting users into the door and then what i found was that a lot of those users did not actually go on and activate so we spent a lot of time around onboarding i got really into it there's a site called useronboard.com which i i devoured a lot of the content on there and then over time i started working with more and more mobile apps where it's really important to have great onboarding to really understand the journey to go from a free user all the way into becoming a paid customer. And then I started just working with more and more SaaS companies as I started consulting and really getting into the user experience, the early onboarding experience, how we move them to becoming a a customer. And I also am an EIR. So I work at a university in the uk called king's college london and i advise startups through their accelerator program i do workshops i do training as well and i also advise a few different like vc firms as well and so a lot of my talk is on product growth i like to share my content around product growth and yeah i have templates so i have a lot of templates because i want to have really actionable content so whenever i talk about a topic I want to give them a template so that operators can go and actually apply the learning straight away and get to value as quick as possible.
0: Thank you, Leo, that's uh, that's a wonderful introduction. So for the listeners, you know, uh, we'll actually put a show note around the templates. I think it's called the Co. and Theo is probably be rebuilding some of that content as well. Uh, but Theo, here's a question to you, you know, you've been advising, you've been mentoring, coaching early stage founders. Uh, much of the content that you have written on LinkedIn, you know, essentially helps the SaaS founders from very get-go, very early stage founders. They're right now thinking about PLG and your templates just land right in. Um, Could you maybe walk through what have you found in the industry, especially trends around this? Uh, Why would an early stage founder, especially when they are either trying their products out, they may or may not have reached product market fit how do they think about product how do, how do they think about product led growth and what would you advise them what are the challenges that they are trying to solve that you can help them
1: okay great so depending on the type of product that you've got you know if you are to have a product led motion you obviously need to think a lot about the user experience and i would say that for early stage companies this is really difficult The reason being is that really great product-led companies are created with a great product, right? And it takes a long time to have a great product where all the features can work perfectly to build everything, to have really smooth flows where you don't need to have any human interaction. So a lot of those teams, they do struggle at the beginning, right? Because everything is based on the product. And so some of the things that founders can do is to actually take a human approach even if they are looking long term to have a product led motion so i always cite the company superhuman which although it's a product led you can go and sign up when it first started out it wasn't accessible to the to the main public you actually needed to to do an onboarding call in order to get access to the product because they wanted to stay really close to the customers they wanted to understand the problems that people were facing when they do sign up and what you know challenges they were having and they also just want to be able to you know turn those users into power users so they are more likely to stay retained and so they got a lot of great insights and I'm now a superhuman user there was a really long wait list and they found product market fit so although early stage companies may have a bit of a struggle to create the the perfect product At the beginning, one of the things that they can do is almost shortcut it a bit, by add a bit of human intervention to understand at the start, get a bit of learning, and then they can actually apply that to the product as well, to create a better product experience where it is more hands-off.
0: It's interesting you say that. I, I remember, was it Paul Graham or someone from the Y Combinator who said, to scale later, you start doing things that doesn't scale now. Right, so uh, it looks like Superhuman or various other companies are attempting to intervene with onboarding plays. You know, knowing very well that that's not going to scale, but they make sure that the experience is really superhuman at that at that time. Let's could we delve a little more into the you talked about customer experiences. Maybe that's a good segue into talking about personalized onboarding. Uh, you mentioned that bringing customer experiences right getting the right value you know really involves the right customization the right personalization of your onboarding uh, helping the end users seek the value almost by themselves what are the nuances of tailoring this onboarding experiences especially if you know if you could maybe uh, take one or two cases where the the product that the companies are building are not specifically oriented for only one job functions. Maybe they could be different personas using the particular product, right? Uh, let's say that there's a developer persona there's a finance persona. Both of them are using the same product, uh, or maybe even if it's a single persona based product, how do you advise, you know, your early stage SaaS builders on what are the, what are the routes? What are the mechanisms? through which they can personalize the onboarding. First of all, if you could maybe start off with why should they personalize the onboarding? And then what are the techniques around it? So I'm a big fan
1: of personalization. And the reason why is because when we're thinking about products, it's based on behavior, right? Our product analytics are really behavioral analytics. They're seeing what someone does and how they act. And we as humans have very different behaviors, right? We may do very different things on different days Um, and those companies that only base their experiences on demographics are ultimately they're they're a bit in the past right because you may have a certain be part of a certain demographic but then you behave in a different way so the best products are the ones that personalize based on behavior and on goals so i'm a big fan of jobs to be done as part of the personalization and the reason why i think about jobs to be done is because ultimately we have goals with our product we have problems and we have goals and we hire products to help us to hit those goals right and to overcome certain challenges and if your product takes the time to personalize to my goal it makes the be- the experience better for me. I can get to my goal as quick as possible. So if I take the example of Miro, one of the products which I really love using, what they do is they ask you what you're looking to achieve. And then when they find out what you're looking to achieve, they're able to give you templates so that you can get to the, your goal a lot quicker. So if you're looking to create a brainstorming chart because you're facilitating, they will get you a brainstorming chart or, A board for you to work with. And so rather than you spending five or six minutes looking for the right chart, they take that time away from you, right? They they reduce that time for you. And when we do think about any type of product experience, we're talking about time to value. We're talking about how quickly can we get someone to enough value that they think, oh, this product is good for me, it's going to help me to achieve our goals. And so personalization really reduces that time and gets us to where we want to get to much much faster and so that's why I'm a big proponent of it and I actually think that as the world becomes more ai driven we have more and more opportunities to personalize and there's so many ways actually i could get into around how we could personalize the experience but you know one of them is you know job functions that we can base it on another is what someone's looking to do so there's a variety of, of different use cases that people have personalization Helps you to find it a lot, a lot quicker, and uh, provide the the relevant use case for them.
0: Yeah, speaking speaking about the onboarding. You now, I remember your LinkedIn post some time back. You know, you mentioned that was it product board or uh, you uh, you you showcased the value of asking the right questions and asking only as many questions as needed, uh, but still be able to go tailor this experience. So, could you maybe share a little about? The personalization of the onboarding, uh, maybe, and maybe here's a question: uh, If you are not asking all the right questions to segment the users, if you don't, if you don't ask the questions on what's your job function looks like, what's you know how do you tailor the jobs to be done? For example, if it's a developer, and you're not asking that hey you are a developer or not and you have to tailor the experiences towards a developer. Let's say it's a HR person who's using a product. If you don't know the job function, how do you tailor uh, to the jobs to be done for the HR person? Could you maybe throw some light around what do you mean by personalization? And then are there different routes based on the job function or is it a single uh, onboarding experience for regardless of whatever job jobs to be done? Good, good question. So- it's not
1: It's not that you can't use a job function in order to uh, personalize, right? You can. So, for example, if I use a tool like Airtable and I say that I'm a marketer, mm-hmm. then what they then provide me is marketing templates because what they have is enough experience from talking to users that marketers are generally looking for these type of templates. And so one of the things that you can do is you can ask early on in the onboarding experience... What are you looking to achieve? And over time, you'll be able to collate the answers that you get and be able to create certain themes. And once you create the themes, you then know, okay, these are the, the different categories or these are the different jobs. And you can ask that question uh, with like drop downs in the, the onboarding experience. And so although our goal isn't to add tons and tons of friction, our, like what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get the best experience. So there's some companies, they, they have no friction at all, right? You get straight in, straight into the product. That's, that's a recipe for having a lost user. Whereas we can actually add a step where we're going to get a bit more information so that we can personalize it in the end. So there's a balance there to be had about having enough information and asking for enough information so that you can create that personalized experience but not asking too much that isn't relevant. And so my next point to that is, there are some questions that companies will ask on their sign-up forms and their sign-up pages, which ultimately just serve the company. It makes it easier for them to do their job. For example, a sales team, you might ask how much revenue the, the company is making, and that's fine, but it ultimately adds extra work for the user. You could, on the back end, use enrichment to be able to find out what that number is. And when you find out what that number is, you know, on the back end, then you can send your your sales message with the follow-up and you can get that insight. But really we're trying to create the lowest friction experience, but have enough information to create that personalized experience in the end. And so in that onboarding experience, once someone has given you that data, you can personalize it by sending them to a certain page or sharing a certain uh, content, piece of content. So as I mentioned, a template, you could share that. Alternatively, in your emails, and this is one of the simplest ones for marketers to, to do is to personalize the, the email flows based on the job that someone gave or the goal that someone is, is is trying to hit. And then we just create an all-round personalized experience in terms of the in-product experience, the in-app experience or the, the email experience and any notifications that you may have. All of it becomes... Personalized, and and that's where we then have a much better experience. We're likely to see higher activation, and therefore we're likely to see more of those users becoming customers in the long term.
0: So maybe let me summarize what I understood from from you. Thank you, Theo. I think there's a lot of things. I'm just I was trying to take notes as you speak. Um, what you're saying is know your end user, know their job functions. Um, Help them, don't ask them too many questions they are unnecessary like hey how much revenue it is you can do the enrichment behind the scenes, but get enough questions out uh, to help you uh, essentially onboard that particular user with the jobs to be done and get them to the value as soon as possible. Uh, you also mentioned about you know um, you know have only enough steps as possible and don't be like an enterprise led you know SaaS company right where you have the enterprise software you get onto like a, some blank screen and then you have to go navigate and find out on the left hand navigation instead of that ask the right question so you can automatically route the end users you know to the to the jobs that they're trying to do uh, maybe let me extend that that a little bit let's say once you have the personalized onboarding you now it takes of course a long time to go help you build that it you know sometimes it takes A small team to actually go figure out what's the right way, and maybe companies like Superhuman have to go intervene uh, and figure out what's the right onboarding steps as well. But let's say you have figured out the onboarding. What could be a next step? You know, within this, I've seen you give an example of Airtable or Miro or something of that sort. Would trial management be an automatic next step? Meaning, after you have done the onboarding, you put them into a trial, or do you do start the trial? management much before, much before they have um, done the onboarding. For example, the moment you sign up, are you intervening there and saying, hey, I'm going to put you into a free trial automatically, right? Uh, Something like Figma does, saying that, hey, here's a free plan. And then, you know, I'm giving you the free plan. You explicitly click yes and then proceed ahead. Or you implicitly put them into a free trial, reverse trial. Uh, could you could you do a little bit of a deep dive into what happens when with trial management as associated to the onboarding? Should it happen before? Should it happen after? Okay, yeah, over to you, Theo. Yeah. So I would say that
1: this depends on your business, and ultimately, you should make that decision before someone's coming to the float, right? So your you know the 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 motion or the pricing model that you've got, whether it's a free trial whether it is a freemium or it's a reverse trial, that is fundamentally a business decision because you need to decide how you're going to be able to serve those users. So I know a lot of bootstrap founders like to start off by not having a freemium service. So they'll go in and they will get users straight onto a free trial. And the reason why they do that is often because conversion rates between free Free trials to paid are often a lot higher, so they may not have the runway to be able to get lots and lots of free users in the door and have that structured in mm-hmm. However, if you are a company and you do want that scale, you don't necessarily know your i your ideal customer profile in the right way, right? And you, you know you don't convert them in the same way. Uh, you know, a freemium works because freemium what it enables you to do is get lots and lots of users coming in the door. And for them to almost self-identify themselves as, oh, I've seen the value, now I'm going to now upgrade. So you get, you know, freemium works really, really well. I definitely say that as you get further, you know, a, a much more advanced company and you have a greater product f- and you can support, say, customer service for your free, free users, then it, it makes a lot, a lot of sense. But what we're also seeing is f- reverse trials actually being as effective as the freemium in terms of its free-to-paid conversion rate. So OpenView did a really good benchmark study very recently, and what they found was that 5% of companies that they they surveyed are offering reverse trials. But they found that actually when you do a reverse trial, you get very similar conversion rates to a free trial, right? Right. and so it, it it works it works well but you also get more more users coming in if you're obviously doing it freemium because you downgrade so you still get those users that can still use the product afterwards so it feels as though the reverse trial gives you the best of both worlds where you can have those users on your platform longer term you don't have to kick them out at the end of seven days 14 days but they also get that core value straight up front and so Again, this goes back to my point around like, what is value? What is core value? And a reverse trial ultimately means you can see the most amount of vo- value that the product can offer. And so a user gets to come in and see that on their first uh, their first experiences, their early experiences. Whereas what you then have with the, uh, the, the, the free trial is, you know, you've got people in, they'll use it for a certain amount of time and then they must go. So a reverse trial is feeling like it's, it's it's a really promising motion that is actually underused by by most companies and something that that companies should think about.
0: So I think uh, Theo, what you're saying is maybe there are three types of trials, you know, uh, freemium, free trials and reverse trials. And looks like and by the way, we'll put the show notes. We'll we'll put the OpenView uh, link to their blog and their article in the show notes. Uh, I think what what you're saying is if an early stage founder uh, or an early stage company is trying to go think about trials. Typically, they start off with free trials. Probably it's easier uh, to give your entire product for free and then go to a paid motions and skip the freemium. But have you seen um, any use cases where, you know, early stage companies start thinking about reverse trial from the very outset or for that matter, freemium for the very outset? Those are slightly difficult to implement. You know, for freemium, I'm guessing you might have to start thinking about what are the features that should be free? What should be the limits around it? It takes a lot more thinking, probably takes a lot more uh, you know, building of, of your product you know, to manage something of that sort. Whereas reverse, reverse trial is probably a lot more complex. You have to put them into a free trial and then you downgrade them into a freemium. Um, that's probably a lot of effort. Have you seen any, uh, any early stage companies you know, in, in your purview? who have started off with freemium or started off with reverse trial? There's, I mean, there's lots of companies that do
1: freemium uh, really well from an early stage business. So a company that I know of, uh, Veed, right? Veed, they, when they first started out, they were freemium and you could go and use the product. And I think that any product that is high volume where you get a lot of people coming in and using it uh, and you're like mass market, I should say, like free freemium yeah. is just going to work much much better so if you're like smb SAS or you know even like an air table they do the reverse trial really well but if you're kind of mass market it may make sense for you to do the, the freemium so a lot of companies have done that well the reverse trial i've seen less people do it more because it's a new it's, it's it's newer i remember seeing buffer doing it a long long time ago was really impressed with them and when they did it and that was years ago before there was even a name for it and they had a really good freemium motion but they also decided actually let's give you the upfront value so i think that the companies that are willing to just have a bit more nuance and have a little bit more uh, uh, detail around what they're doing from the back end because it is a bit harder to do a free trial to have someone and then to to get them onto the freemium like that th- those companies will, will thrive. They will be able to take up an opportunity that a lot of companies aren't doing it. And kind of to your point around like actually understanding what you have to limit, that is something that takes a lot of understanding of your customer. Also, you have to do a lot of speaking to your customer to find out what that value is. And then you can take that away. So actually, right now, I'm doing a pricing exercise with one of my clients. And they are, you know, a free free app, right? They're a freemium product. And they're in the Shopify ecosystem. And so one of the, the things is like, we're considering taking out one of the, the the free plants, right? So we're thinking about making it free trial and going to go and explore whether it makes sense to, to have that, right? And whether it's going to be more profitable for that company if we go down that route. So we're going to explore it. We're going to see how it, it works. But the point it being is, is that we want to think about profitability we want to think about what's the most that works the best for the 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 company and so that's the kind of route we need to take this is very much a business decision and it there's a lot of factors that go into it and so yeah you need to think about like what that actually means from an operational standpoint as well as just being like what someone sees kind of up front
0: so i'm guessing uh these companies that you're advising there they must be at least a series a or a series b company to even attempt to do reverse trial um, I'm guessing it takes a lot of effort to go build it, uh, you know, find what your freemium features could be, how do you downgrade them, when do you downgrade them, and all of that. Would that be right to say? Would that be right to assume that these are slightly bigger than a seed seed companies? Maybe they have already achieved their product market fit, uh, and they are either in series A or series B? Or
1: actually no it's a it's still a relatively early company around the seed coming up to series A stage they're bootstrapped, so in terms of revenues it would be around that that stage um, wow, okay. but the, the the point being is is we're looking one at the the free trial as the first the first point of call, but we also are looking at what that free trial was going to look like uh, as a reverse trial um and you know from a technical standpoint we'll analyze it and see how it will work. But if it's, you know, reasonably easy to do, then we'll go and explore it. Because as I said, if the, the data is saying that the conversion rates are higher and there's not a lot of people doing it, it that, that's potentially an untapped opportunity. Right. And so it's something that we should always explore if the data is telling us that. And it just makes sense on a, on a logical perspective. You're up, you're, you're uh, you know, up front with that value. And that's what we want. We want to give someone as much value as possible when they first start using the product, and you know we can tailor that off at the beginning. But yeah, we've got those first few weeks, that first f- few days, really as the point of someone being the most engaged and most interested. So it makes sense to to give them as much as you can about the product versus maybe you know allowing them to kind of upgrade as they they get more and more into it because they may never do that. So uh, it's a it's a it's a value-driven way of of, of pricing and uh, emotion. I
0: would say. Yeah, it makes sense. So how does um, how does a SaaS builder, or startup, you know, go about implementing free trial? Do they have to hire someone like you, like a growth advisor? Are Are there any open playbooks out there on this is how it should be done? Are there any tools? Are there any technologies? Are there I think are there any frameworks that ultimately? It just it's it's yeah, it's something that you can.
1: Uh, you can go and make that move. I don't I don't think you necessarily have to uh, go too deep into it when you are thinking about it. Obviously, you can advise and consult with different people like myself in order for you to think and make sure that that motion is done correctly. But the one thing I will say is that we need to do more pricing tests, right? It's a really high leverage mm. uh, area of the funnel and the product and the experience. And we don't do enough tests there. And so whilst we don't want to take any moves, which are going to frustrate and annoy our users by just massively upgrading the price, we do need to start doing more and more tests around pricing because there's a lot of gains to be had. And so uh, I would still encourage anyone that is thinking about their motion and thinking about their, their business and t- tests that they can run to to run some tests around pricing. Just don't annoy your customers and don't uh, alienate your your customer base by raising the price too too much. Think about grandfathering in the prices that you've already got, or leaving yourself some room to be able to test pricing maybe outside of the the main journeys that people will see, just to see if you can actually get more and more. Uh, value out of uh either you know raising your pricing or trying a different or uh, trying a different motion, right? Trying a free trial, trying a freemium. So yeah, definitely worth exploring and, and doing more tests around your your motions that
0: you're you're getting people in with within the product. Do you maybe help us understand how do you know when the trials are going good or they're going bad? Are there any indicators for success on that?
1: Yeah, I mean Plenty, plenty of trials don't don't work out. Some of them don't provide enough value. People get to the end and think this is not useful. I sign up personally for SaaS products nearly every day, and there are very few that I actually go on and pay for. Right? Not because I'm not wanting to go and use them or not wanting to go and pay for them. Some of them I am, uh, you know, testing out and just exploring. But there's a lot that I would love to get into habits around. And so that's one of the major things which uh, is important, which is habits. Are you helping a user to create a habit around their, their goal? And so we think about activation as someone coming in and getting some of the value of the product and them seeing it and thinking, okay, this is really, really good for me. And then really what we want to do in order to get someone to upgrade is for them to start creating habits around the product. So for a lot of B2B SaaS companies, that actually might mean habits between teams. So if I use Figma, I might come in and use Figma and start designing on Figma. And so that may be me by myself using it and uh, you know enjoying the product, right? And then create bringing someone else in and we start to create together and start designing things. We start creating habits around that. So obviously that's a, a freemium product. But if we were to take the same for any like free trial product, you may use it for seven days. Uh, there's a tool that I use called Teller, which is really good for video and it gives you a seven day trial. And so in that trial, they want you to create as much um video as you can the more video that you create in that space uh the more likely that i'm gonna then stick around because i don't want to lose all of my content right so there's a bit of loss aversion at play right which is you can say to someone you know you're gonna lose all your stuff you've created all of these this content you started to create habits and you're gonna lose all of it and so that's a powerful driver to make someone actually want to stay and use the product so kind of going back to your question around are there bad trials yes plenty and to be able to see that a bad there's a bad is that your conversion rate is just really low if you're seeing you know one percent conversion rate there's a lot more that you can do yeah we want to be seeing five ten percent conversion rates from free to paid um when you're talking like freemium and even more when we're talking like free trials so uh yeah we want to be seeing some some really really great numbers when we're talking about our like free to paid. And that's gonna, that's gonna be a really good indicator of whether someone is uh, enjoying our trial and getting a lot of value out of it because they're wanting to get to that next step. But also as an extension, we need to look in our product analytics, right? So someone may, after seven days, decide actually I'm gonna pay a bit more because I actually did get some value out of it, but I need to, you know, before I fully create a full habit, I need to spend at least a month and so there's a lot of companies that I've seen and worked with that get people that sign up after that first month and become a, a customer after that first month. But you go into their product analytics and they've really used the product. So they haven't really seen value. So ultimately, we need to be able to understand how users are behaving in the products. And then we can you know work to ensure that they are hitting and doing some of the actions that we want them to do, which represent value and then having success within, within the product.
0: So, uh, maybe Theo, you know, if I could maybe reduce it or trying to simplify it in my head, uh, are you saying that, uh, to do a good trial, start collecting the business events, you know, things like, have you set up, you know, have you created the aha moments, the habit moments that, that you, I think you mentioned about a couple of times, uh, and also do the product usage analysis. You know, are they actually using your product or not or have they set up and gone away and are they coming back you know to solve that particular problem so these are very data intensive data you know uh, data analytics kind of roles that needs to come in uh, uh, we were talking to some of the customers some other saas builders uh, who are trying to manage trials and they were starting to look at cohort analytics they were starting to look at where are the drop-off rates looks like? you know At what point of the user journey they're dropping off? Uh, much of that is, I think, new territory out there, right? Uh, there are lots and lots of good papers around it, You know, HubSpot and f- so many folks have created theoretical papers around, this is what you need to measure, stage two has done all of that, but it's still very difficult. Uh, are, do you have any maybe specific advice? I know we'll run out of time, Do you have any specific advice for people who are running trials? Uh, What would you advise them? Maybe like one or two sentences around what are the gotchas that they should be watching for? And when should they know know that their trials are succeeding or failing?
1: Product analytics, and you do not have that set up, Mm -hmm. it's going to be near on impossible to be able to improve your product experience. So like one of the first port of calls, which when I'm working with a new client, is to say to them, have you got one of the major tools, whether it's amplitude, whether it's heap, whether it's Mixpanel? panel, have you got one of those tools set up? You can use June as well, which is another really good one. And have you got one of those set up? Because when you have and you can see the product events and the actions that people are taking, then you can create funnels within the product and be able to see where the drop-off is. Are you, what percentage of users are getting to the goal that you want them to hit? And then we can do cohort analysis and you don't have to be a a, a data scientist to be able to figure a lot of this stuff out. You just need to be able to look at the event, look at someone being a new user as one of those first events and then see what, how many people are actually coming in and doing that secondary action, uh, whatever that is that you want them to do. And obviously, we want to see whether people are dropping off before they get you know, your trial period. So if your trial period is 14 days and people aren't dropping off until the 28th day, um, it's a good sign, right? That means that you've got an engaged product. Whereas if your product is 14 days and if you get everyone dropping off on the first day, it means you've got some work to do. So we can get a lot of learnings from our product analytics and we should spend time one, getting it set up, two, getting the right events, and then three, spending time to analyze actually what data is that you've got in the platform and, you know, what behaviors are most common and which ones aren't. And, there's, and, there's, and then as an extension to that, you can actually go and set up a tool like Hotjar or Full Story yeah. or even a Microsoft Cl- Clarity, which is the the free version now and you can actually use that tool to see how people are behaving on the site so you can watch how people are behaving and so that's going to give you a lot more insight into how people are using the product and you know are they seeing uh, the necessary value and then as an extension to that you can actually go in and you can do user interviews, you can go and talk to your users, right, you can go and have conversations with your new users, you can have conversations with your churn users, and figure out whether they were seeing the value as quickly as you intended, and if they didn't, then you've got some work that you can, you can do to get them there a lot quicker, and as finally, you can do in-product surveys as well, right, did people, uh, some of the actions. There's different surveys you can do. There's Net Promoter Score, which is a good one. Uh, There's another one which you can also do, which is the Product Markets Fit Score Test, where you can say, you know, how uh, disappointed would you be if you could no longer use this product? And then you can also do Customer Ease Score, right, or Effort Score. And so we've got a few different surveys and a few different ways to basically understand if someone is getting value, you can look through the data. You can look to see how people are using it. You can ask and you can speak. Right. So those are all different ways where you can kind of find out if uh, someone is seeing the 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 product value as as well as you anticipated.
0: That's a beautiful summary. Look, look, ask, and speak. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that playbook. Uh, thank, thank you so you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Theo. You know for your time. Uh, and to all of our listeners, uh, maybe Theo, one last question to you. How do they reach out to you? Is LinkedIn the best way or do they have any other better channels that you could recommend them?
1: Yes, you can, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's just my name. You can also connect with me on Twitter as well. So again, it's just my name. Um, and then uh, finally, if you want to sign up to my newsletter, you can also sign up to my newsletter on growthroadmaps.co and uh yeah if you want to send me an email or drop me a message i'd love to hear from you and we can talk uh, talk
0: growth thank you so much and for all the all the viewers if you've enjoyed today's discussion please consider leaving a review comment uh your feedback is always very very important to us uh stay tuned for more insights we'll have more guests and more demos coming in until next time keep thriving